successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Get a hooter. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to Grill Nation Show. I'm your host Jason Grill here on Talk 980 AM and on Talk980AM.com. Appreciate you joining us as well on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. I want to thank all of our partners and supporters of Grill Nation with Jason Grill before we get to our exciting show today. I hope you guys are doing well. It's been a great year and very excited about all the awesome stuff we're going to talk about on today's show, including some really cool guests. Uh, First off, our partners and supporters of Grill Nation with Jason Grill are Trust, Bank of Kansas City, The Bash Group, Andrew Bash, guest guest co-hosting contributor, Kenny Hertz Perry, Attorneys at Law, John Kenny Hertz, Attorney and Guest Coasting Contributor, Catalyst Government Affairs, Danny Pfeiffer, Contributor, The Rieger Hotel Grill and Exchange, Jay Rieger & Co., Ryan Maybe, he's a Guest Coast Contributor and Partner and will be joining us today on today's show, Kansas City Power and Light District, and Two West Advisors and Ryan Rink. Thank you for your partnership and support of Grill Nation with Jason Grill. Uh, we excited to have everyone back, hopefully, for next year. They're, we've had some great guests and uh, continue to have... Awesome, awesome time here on Grill Nation show. So thanks again to the partners and supporters of Grill Nation for their support in 2015 and in the future. Today we're going to talk to Ryan Maybe, who's in studio. Welcome to the show, Ryan. The Rieger Hotel Grill and Exchange and Jay Rieger & Co. are his companies, along with many other things he does here in Kansas City and downtown. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be back. So we're going to uh, we're going to start off with you this segment, and uh, later in the show we're going to have Witt Solberg, who is the founder at... <clears throat> Mission Peak Capital, and I was at the Rieger with you a few weeks ago, and we started talking about these buildings across the street from you, or lack yeah. thereof, where the Hereford House was. Yeah, it, it, it's an easy uh, subject to get into. It seems like I, I get in, into that topic just about <laughs> every day with somebody because it's so prevalent. Mm-hmm. You know, that Hotel Midwest is a, a a big looming structure that's been vacant for you know, a good seven or eight years now, at mm-hmm. least, and uh, everyone wants to know what's uh, what's going to happen with it because it's a hot piece of property. I mean, right on the corner of 20th and Main, right along the streetcar route, basically the the southern entrance to the crossroads. You know, so it's a really important part of uh, downtown real estate, and uh, everyone wants to know what's going to happen with yeah, it. You see on the left, you see the really cool Rieger sign, yeah, and Rieger mural and Rieger painting on the yeah. on the building, <laughs> and then on the right, you see an old place that used to have Herbert House and some very old buildings. That our guest, who will be on in the third and fourth segment today, Witt Silberg has owns now, and he owns yeah. uh, a couple other buildings. I think he uh, owns. North- I think actually he owns about seven lots right seven there. Lots. So he's got the the three story uh, what used to be a DB warehouse building, the parking lot next to that, the two story red brick building, which is actually like the private dining rooms for the Hereford House, the Hotel Midwest, um, the vacant lot where the Hereford House uh, burned down, mm-hmm. and then two parking lots. Behind those two lots that uh, that run up against uh, Walnut, so I think it's it's a total of seven lots that are all connected right there that he now controls, which is great because you know part of the reason that it's been it's been in limbo for so long is because it was controlled by either multiple parties 
or for several years uh, more recently, an out-of-state bank that really had no motivation to do anything with it. You mm-hmm. know, so uh, when he acquired it recently, he's a local guy. You know, and I think he grew, he, up, has, he grew up in Kansas City. Yeah, and he wants to see it become something cool, and he also appreciates, you know, what makes the Crossroads unique, what makes downtown Kansas City unique, and he wants to help make that better. I think that's awesome. Whit Whit Sober will be our guest in the third and fourth segments today. He um he is a well educated man, Washington University, Columbia University, also lived in Hong Kong, New York, he's DC, he's been all over the world, but he chose to come back here to to Kansas City and uh very excited to see that area of Main Street get developed, um uh, and keep cap off that street across from the Rieger also with a streetcar going in. Um and there's a couple new hotels. I think there's a new um multifamily luxury yep. condo or apartments going next to you. Yep. Uh it's gonna be cool. I'm excited to have him on the show to learn more about his background and what he what he's envisioning doing with uh all that all those plots of land he has now across yeah. from you. It's exciting. So Ryan maybe talk to us about um what you've been up to, man. Now, we'll we'll get into the second segment, we'll get into your recent travels, but what's sure. going on with the uh with companies here? I know you uh, celebrated well, an anniversary recently. Uh, yesterday, actually, was our uh, well, December twentieth. Technically, was our uh, five year anniversary at the the Rieger, the restaurant, um, and the building is now one hundred years flies. old. Yeah, it does. It's crazy <laughs> to think that we've been there for five years. A lot's happened in that time, but uh, you know, it makes me uh, it makes me really proud. We've got a, a, an absolutely amazing team and family there, and uh, it, it's really become something special. And you know, kind of along those lines, you know, when you introduced uh, uh, the segment, the, the restaurant's always been called the Rieger Hotel Grill and Exchange, and I, I think I should uh, let you know that we're actually uh, in the final stages of rebranding it. Good. So um, I have to change my website, grillnationshow.com. Exactly. We'll have a new change. Yeah. So when we when we first opened the restaurant back in 2010, we called it the Rieger Hotel Grill and Exchange, which is kind of a long, you know, uh, convoluted name, but it, it, it tells a story. Mm-hmm. You know, the building was the Rieger Hotel. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that we brought back that identity and, and told that story about the history of the building. And then Grill and Exchange just references the fact that it's a restaurant and bar. Uh, back in the pre-Prohibition era, um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, when the Rieger family was really uh, prevalent in Kansas City, the word exchange was sort of a code word for an upscale bar. Mm. Uh, because the temperance movement was really strong back then, and even prior to Prohibition, uh, there was a growing sense of... Uh, you had to be cautious about saying you were going to go drink. Sure. Uh, so exchange was sort of a code word, which made it sound like you were still working, but you were actually going to to knock back a few. So that was how we came up with the name, the Rieger Hotel Grill Exchange, but it was always our intention to have the identity become known as just simply the Rieger. You know, we don't want people to have to say that whole name every every time, but we want them to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's over time, now five years in, I think that the Rieger has really become something special and unique and i think people know what what it is now mm-hmm. um so we're actually rebranding uh shortening the name to just simply the rieger changing the logo just a little bit uh building a new website all that so that's that's really exciting because it's kind of it's really coming into its own is what i would say yeah that is pretty exciting and uh, your website honestly is it's got all kinds of history on it. if you guys want to check it out it's at the rieger kc.com so you'll you'll change it just to the rieger just the rieger okay cool 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 um well, I'll tell you this, you know, that place is always crowded. You had your best, one of your best years mm-hmm. ever, right? Yeah, absolutely. This year has been uh, our best year yet. And, uh, you know, the Rieger and Manifesto are technically uh, one, one business and they're both, uh, they're both operating, you know, on a higher level than we ever have before. And uh, it's a real testament to the, to the staff there and, and also the, 
uh, growing excitement of downtown and, and the crossroads. It's, uh, yeah, it's going well. We got about a minute left in this first segment, Ryan. Talk to me about uh, Jay Rieger and Co. <laughs> we'll, we're going to do it in the next segment too. We're well, going to come back yeah, after the break. Yeah, Just I give mean, us a little, give us a little teaser here. What's sure. Going on? Well, you know, we we've now been uh, in business for one year. We launched our, our whiskey on November third of last year, and so it's been a one crazy year. one year. Believe me. Wow. Um, you know, we've since we launched the whiskey in November of of 2014, we've kicked off a vodka. Um, we've also partnered with Tom Nickel, who is the, uh, was the master distiller for Tanqueray gin for 42 years. And he created our gin, uh, which is now doing very, very well. Uh, so we've, we've added two products. Um, we've expanded into Illinois and, and the Chicago market. We expanded into Nebraska just last month. And then early 2016, we, uh, we have six new States slated for distribution uh, in the next three months. I want to get into that after the break because uh, we'll be interested to know kind of how that all operates and how yeah. that happens because a lot of people in Kansas City are entrepreneurs and uh, very fascinated with how you guys have grown so quickly. Yeah, We'll be right back after the break with more with Ryan Maybe from The Rieger and Jay Rieger & Co. and also Girl Nation Show contributor. Thanks for listening to 980 AM. Running down the street like your hair's on fire Thoughts running fast like a man on a wire Can't stop laughing but I don't Crazy though, TV and the radio been watching since a baby, so I'm representing Casey Mo. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Grill Nation with Jason Grill on 980 AM and talk980am.com. Connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill. I'm also on Instagram, Snapchat at Jason Grill, and also at Grill Nation Show on Instagram and on the Facebook. I called it the Facebook. That's great. But we're on the Facebook. Um, we're talking to Ryan Maybe, who's the uh, uh, founder and of Jay Rieger and Co. And also uh, the Rieger. We're calling it the Rieger now on the show as it's going to go through rebrand soon. Uh, your website's theriegerkc.com for the restaurant. Uh, one thing interesting I just noticed is that for many years, from 1877 to 1919, Kansas City had the wettest block in the world. What does that mean? So the wettest block in the world is in reference to uh, how the state of Kansas actually went dry in 1881. This was 38 years prior to federal prohibition. Mm-hmm. I'll let that sink in for a second. That's nuts. <laughs> right. And with the state line between Kansas and Missouri running right through the city and in Kansas City and, and in the West Bottoms, when Kansas went dry in 1881, people were like, all right, we'll just go across the street more or less and cross over into uh, Missouri and that's where they would buy alcohol and uh, have the uh, the entertainment experience, so to speak. So that area of Kansas City, Missouri, in the uh, West Bottoms, became known as the wettest block in the world. It was in reference to this explosion of like saloons and casinos saloons, and brothels. Casinos, all that stuff was Jay down in the West Bottoms. Jay Rieger and Company, founded in 1887, <laughs> sprung up there. So uh, that's where where that phrase comes from. It also kind of uh, laid the the groundwork and the foundation for when federal prohibition was actually enacted in 1919 in Kansas City still you know completely uh you know stuck wow. up a big middle finger in the air to to the government and said we're going to we're going to do what we want it's awesome Kansas City has such a rich history um Ryan maybe talk to me about your expansion a lot of people are interested in how uh, Jay Rieger and Co is doing uh you mentioned you're going to be going to six new states you're already uh, in Kansas you, Missouri Illinois we're currently distributing Nebraska. in four states Kansas Missouri Illinois Nebraska 
and early next year, um, the, probably the first two states that we launch will be Colorado and Louisiana. Okay. Um, Interesting. Interesting two states. Well, uh, specifically, you know, Colorado kind of fits into our our objective for building regionally. You know, it's it's nearby. It's a one hour flight away. It's easy for for me and Andy to get to 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 work the market and and help build the brand. Um, I personally love Colorado, and you know, you're you're just another excuse to visit more often. You know, Um, so it it just kind of fits into our, our our business plan. And as far as Louisiana goes, that is almost exclusively intended for the annual cocktail festival, Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, which is the largest cocktail festival in the world brings it's it's like the third largest uh, revenue generating event in New Orleans every year behind Jazz Fest and Mardi Gras. It, it's a really big deal. It's a big deal. And if we're going to take part in that, you have to get the the products registered in the state. So we're going to set up distribution in Louisiana so that we can participate in Tales of the Cocktail every July. Cool. Uh, so those two will happen right away, and then probably by March, we're actually already working. On uh, getting on board with the distributor, we'll kick off uh, a few states on the East Coast. So nice. New, New York is the focus, uh, but New Jersey will come along with that, and so will Washington D.C. Those three. Oh, my Washington D.C. friends will love that. Yeah, so those three will happen simultaneously, probably March or April. I think people, when they see that, like in D.C. or New York, are going to be just like, "Wow, the Riggers in New York or in D.C." And yeah, the Kansas you know, City people that are living there now. You know, it, it's, it's when Boulevard got there, it was like right. it took for a while to yeah, get like in D.C. Years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like they were just like, I have a friend that lives in Arizona now, and he saw some Tank Seven or something. He's I yeah. saw some Boulevard weed on tap in Utah. It was this was recently? I'm just it blows your mind. Yeah, so I think, I think if they see like 30 they see Jay Rieger and Co. in D.C. on the shelf of the grocery store at a liquor store, they're going to be blown away. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we're we have a lot of connections in New York in particular. Um, you know, being in the the restaurant and bar business for as long as I have, and doing a lot of uh, events with uh, bartenders out there. I mean, it's been a, a good way for me to to build up my reputation, my career and, and, and everything by uh, doing stuff with people in New York. So there's already a lot of people out there that are asking, Hey, how can we get this? Um, and then DC, I'm not really sure what the, what the, uh, um, the drive is there, but we get calls at the distillery at least once a week from somebody in Washington, DC asking about how they can get our product. It's a lot of Kansas city and Midwest people. Yeah. I mean that work in politics or that have relocated there yeah. or interned there and they stayed there. It's interesting stuff. Right. So what now again, you have three products and we'll get to our, our quickly to our uh, next conversation, but what are the price points again? Because people are asking me at a Christmas party, what's the sure. difference between why is the vodka cheaper than the whiskey? Why is the what, no, the vodka's what, cheaper to make? I know, so that's that's <laughs> the, that's the answer I gave them. But I was just curious of what your price points are now for the three products. If I walked um, into a a, a a a place to buy them, I mean, does it differ? <clears throat> what's the average? Well, you know, retailers can set their own price, and right. and there can be a broad range there. I mean, there really shouldn't be because of, you know they want to be competitive with with each other. But you know, we have we have to sell our products at a uh, a single rate, no matter what. We have a set price that we sell to our distributor for, but then the sure. distributor marks it up and they sell it for the same price to everyone else. And then from there, that's where the price ends up fluctuating. So retailers could sell. Basically, what we want is the vodka to hit the shelves at around nineteen ninety nine. We want to keep the vodka uh, under twenty dollars. That's our, our our goal for the for the the brand. Um, you're going to see a lot of places selling it for that price. You might see some places that are like twenty one ninety nine, as high as that. Uh, the gin, uh, we want to keep under 30. The gin should be hitting store shelves around 28 or 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might see some places that, that have it a little bit higher. And then the whiskey is uh, right around that 35 to 38 uh, mark. And that one tends to fluctuate a little bit more. As you get a little bit in higher higher price points, you see a little bit more fluctuation. 
and sometimes it depends on liquor stores availability or availability to buy large amounts. So if they can buy a large amount, they might uh, mark it up a little bit less and try to move more of it. Um, but you're going to usually see it in that thirty-five to thirty-eight dollar range, and that's what you're most well known for at this point. Yeah, right now it was Kansas our first. City. It yeah. was our first product. We were able to put Kansas City on the label as a style and category, so that really helped uh, build our recognition for for the brand. Um, and it is definitely our most recognizable and and biggest selling product. However, I think long term, uh, the gin is really going to be the 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 driving product in really? the portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. People like gin, huh? Well, it's it's definitely coming back. I mean, there it's uh, there's a, a a big push in gin right now. People are interested in it once again. Um, also, I think the price point is very friendly for uh, bars to use in cocktails, and it's also for an American made gin. Um, it's done very traditionally. Uh, we we did a very classic London dry style of gin, whereas a lot of new distilleries are you know they're making some good gins out there, but they tend to be really esoteric and, and using different botanicals and ingredients. And the problem with that is as a bartender, sometimes those flavor profiles don't work in classic drinks, like a, just a classic gin tonic, you know, or a Tom Collins or, or a Negroni, something like that. So we wanted to make a gin that was very traditional and straightforward. And uh, we feel like it's a, a really good opportunity for us to, to uh, blow up that brand. That's awesome. Ryan, maybe Rieger, Rieger and co Jay Rieger and co, excuse me, and the Rieger, in Kansas City, uh, recently you went to Havana, Cuba. With and you yeah. were, let's move to another alcohol rum, <laughs> right? Um, rum. I was there the week before. You were there randomly. Uh, we went around the same time. Yeah. Talk to us about your and, and next week uh, on the show. I'm going to do kind of a recap of my trip. I want to hear about your trip uh, to Havana, Cuba, and talk to me about what that experience was like for you. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, I it was never anything I, I expected I would get a chance to do, but um, I, I got to say I'm very uh, grateful. Uh, that my career as a bartender has actually allowed me to travel all over the world and do some really amazing things. But I got invited by a, a gentleman by the name of Julio Cabrera, who uh, is from Cuba, uh, but he now lives and works in Miami. And he's a, a very well-known, actually internationally known bartender. He's he's very accomplished, uh, a really great guy. And he was in Kansas City a couple months ago. Uh, he and I judged uh, a Bacardi competition, and he invited me to go down to Cuba with him and a few other bartenders. And I I'm like, absolutely, where do I sign up? How do you we know? get going? How do we exactly, get this set up? Yeah. To, that's and, the way I was too. And I'll tell you, I didn't really. You're one of the first people that have been down there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, it was crazy. You know, I didn't think that it was something that was that was that easy to do. But um, he had it all set up through Havana Club. Havana Club uh, Rum actually kind of co-sponsored the trip, you know, and, and financed some of it. And I think really the the objective for them is to market their product to American bartenders because I think it's only a matter of time before we can get that stuff here legally. And they're laying the groundwork for for trying to. Promote. I brought some back legally. Oh, I, I did too. I brought back. I, think I brought I, back seven uh, bottles. <laughs> Duty free, man. But yeah. uh, but but you keep on here. I actually uh, went was, to that mm, same bar mm, you went to, the Havana Club, the Rum Factory. Uh, oh yeah, I, I looked the, at your museum? photos and I was like, we right. had we had a party there. Uh, Absolutely, with the big logo on, or the big thing in the bar area. Uh-huh. So I yeah, was we were in that same bar. We we actually got up and uh, jammed with the band. We had, oh, yeah. a, they had a live band in there and. Uh, picked up a, I don't even know what the hell it's called, Marachi. but a, one of those, yeah. those, uh, percussive instruments and started, <laughs> started jamming out with the band. So it was a crazy experience, but I got to actually bartend behind the Floridita bar, which, you know, I'm a, just a big geek when it comes to cocktail history and all that stuff. And the Floridita is the, the bar that was made legendary by Ernest Hemingway. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he, that's where he hung out. That's where the Papa Doble cocktail was, 
was invented in the, the, the Hemingway daiquiri and, and the daiquiri. It's just such a legendary bar. And I got to get behind the bar and make daiquiris with the bartenders there. And that was, that was quite an experience. Very it, was, cool. it was really special. Um, what, what was your take on kind of Havana as a whole? Where, where the um, technology is way behind, but the people are very behind, positive. It, the people are, are so warm and so friendly yeah. and they seem perfectly happy. But then, you know, looking at it, um, you know, completely objectively as far as like how the, the government operates things. I mean, it, it's, it's sad because it's, it's such a crumbling infrastructure. It's got this beautiful, like colonial type architecture, but it's really in bad shape. It's in horrible disrepair. I mean, everyone talks about the cars. The cars are so cool, you know, to see the, it's, it's like going back in time, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. you know, but they're not, uh, it's, uh, they're also pieced together. It's really funny. Sure. I never thought about it, but all these 1950s Chevrolets and Pontiacs and Oldsmobiles, they're running on four cylinder Russian diesel engines. Yeah. You know, the it, parts have been interchanged. Uh, right. They don't have all the new parts. Yeah. It, it, it was really a fascinating experience. It really, I mean, I, I can't wait to have drinks with you and talk about it more. I mean, it, a lot of cigars too. Absolutely. A lot, a lot of Cubans, right? I think four a day. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a place I want to go to back to in about three to five years to see, yeah. you know, what's changed and what's different. I, I just hope that it remains, has this nostalgia, but the people need to be able to to move forward. So we're talking to Ryan, maybe, uh, Rieger Hotel, Grill and Exchange, and Jay Rieger and Co. We'll be right back after the break with Witt Solberg, who is uh, redeveloping parts of downtown. First things first, I'm the realest, realest. Drop this and let the whole world feel it. Let them feel it. And I'm still in the murder business. I can hold you down like I'm giving lessons in physics. Right, right. I just want to chill, got a sack for us to roll. Married to the money, introduced her to my stove. Showed her how to whip and now she remakes it for low. She my track queen, let her Hello and welcome back to Grill Nation. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for listening today on 980 AM and on talk980am.com. Appreciate you connecting with us on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show, as, long, as well as on iTunes and TuneIn Radio and GrillNationShow.com. Uh, we've been having a great time today with our uh, guest coach and contributor, a partner of Grill Nation, Ryan Maybe. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing good. How are you? You might know his... Uh, his uh, liquor brand, whiskey brand. They have gin. They have vodka. They have everything. And, and Jay Rieger and Co. And uh, very lucky to have our next guest, who uh, Ryan actually um, introduced me to before the show, Witt Solberg, who's the uh, founder of Mission Peak Capital. Interesting guy. Interesting story. So I'm excited to meet him in person, doing some really neat stuff here in Kansas City. But as a as an international uh, superstar, he's done a lot of different things. Welcome to Grill Nation, Witt. How are you? Very well. Nice to be here. Good to see you, man. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to let you kind of start off this interview because uh, you have you know Wit for a while and have some interesting stories to tell about how you met, and we'll learn more about Wit as we go. I don't know if I can tell all those stories about how we first <laughs> met, but, um, but you know, I've been in, in the crossroads for about 10 years, and when I uh, had the opportunity to open up Manifesto in uh, the basement of the Rieger uh, back in 2009 uh, was when I, I first met uh, wit, uh, while the, uh, restaurant was still called 1924 Maine, he was, he was coming into the bar there after, I think just having moved back to Kansas city from where Hong Kong, Hong Kong. And we were just talking about that. Probably my number one favorite city in the world. It, one of the top three, or at least it's an amazing place. What was that experience like being there? It, it was fantastic because you could get on a plane and be two hours away from so many other fantastic places to visit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in some ways I miss it, but, uh, you know, wanted the authenticity and kind of the urban vibe in Kansas City. So the only place I could find it was uh, cozy up next to uh, the Crossroads neighborhood. And uh, um, 
uh, started my business here. Now, you're from Kansas City, right? I am. So you grew up here? Yeah, I grew up here. I uh, lived in, uh, left at 18, not thinking to ever return. Sure. Um, and, you know, about 18 years later, uh, returned to um, uh, start an office out of my fa- uh, grandfather's barber supply store at 1908 Maine. Uh, which he had bought that building, the Pendergast building, from um, uh, from the Pendergast family in the in the mid '60s. Interesting. So, yeah, so I I basically moved in, had a card table, and wanted to conduct business, and um, the rest is history. Well, the rest I had to go drink at a bar to kind of conceive <laughs> ideas to create. Well, and some I, I'm a, a huge uh, fan of Kansas City history, and and the whole Pendergast era is so fascinating to me. Uh, about the impact that he had on Kansas City and and during Prohibition and and all that, and so when I when I first met you at the bar in 1924 Maine, and you told me that you owned uh, the building in 19, 1908, I think the first thing I said was, I want to go see it. Like, how can I get in and take a look at it? Because I was just fascinated by that uh, that that history. And you've actually you did a lot to it. You changed it up quite a bit, right? It, like remodeled the interior. Well, it was extremely cold in the winter and it was extremely hot in the summer and nobody wanted to work in the building so what we did was went into a renovation and uh which uh actually put the building on the national registry of historic places and um and then that was that became a big investment in the crossroads for me and looked across the street and said hi i need parking <laughs> i bought a parking lot uh and you know I'd, I'd come back at the time when the herford house was just burned down yeah Mm -hmm. and so you know that whole uh stretch between 19th and and 20th on maine and and walnut was was kind of a a disaster it it, it really is yeah so 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 that's what we're dealing with here that's the area that's what we're dealing with that's and that's because that became a mission so uh, you know yeah and it's you know since i i got into to 1924 maine i think it's obvious that that block on main street is really really valuable, and it really should be something, uh, something more than what it is. Especially after the the Hereford House burned down, you know, and and that was gone. And when I first uh, got into the neighborhood down there, the Hotel Midwest was actually still open. And I think this was before you moved back in two thousand eight. But uh, I opened a place called JP Wine Bar in two thousand six, and uh, it was just a few blocks away. And it was uh, at that time the Hotel Midwest was still open and still operating and still renting out rooms for hourly rates. Uh, so it was, it, it was, it was quite a scene. Hours did you spend there? Oh, uh, I, I didn't spend any time there, but, uh, you know, I've by, never been to a hotel like that. They still exist. So. <laughs> I think that might've been the last one, but it, you know, it was on its last leg at that point. And then when I, uh, I, I got over to, uh, uh, the Rieger building in, in late 2008 to start working on manifesto, um, was when the Herford house burned down. Um, the, the hotel Midwest closed and, uh, the two story red brick building next to it, uh, as well. And it kind of just fell into limbo, and it might be the most frequent question I get uh, to this day at the Rieger and at Manifesto is, "Hey, what's going to happen with the Hotel Midwest across the street?" I mean, it's a it's a big giant question mark, but it's also a, a building and a space that people really care about in in Kansas City, and I think has absolutely incredible potential. The building's tough, uh, you know, and we've been struggling. So anyway, what we did was over a course of five years, assemble all of these little pieces uh, on that block because really it needed to be one kind of contiguous piece of real estate. And 
And so that, that was a really great journey. And then once we bought it all, um, I was like, uh oh, then what? <laughs> we, gotta, we have to, we have to, we have to build something. And, um, and that's the hard part really is to be true to, true to the neighborhood, true to the culture of the, of, of that part of the community. And then also, and also make it profitable enough for people to want to invest in the project and, and getting all that stuff together is uh, getting all those ingredients together is, you know, it's been kind of overwhelming. Um, you know, it, 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 I think that, um, one thing that's, that's helped a lot are the new investments that we're seeing right next door to your building. I mean, these guys are, are completing uh, an apartment building. Yeah, and, we, I, units, and I used I to work, uh, partner up with a company that was next door that rented space, uh, marketing and branding company there. And when I worked with them, they were talking about the that building. You going worked up. next door to like to us, like at 19? I did. I have, well, they're a client of hmm. mine uh, that I worked up with some PR stuff with them as a consultant. So I was in that area a lot. And I'm like, this building is so cool. Then that was a parking lot. And now it's right next to Ryan. And now it's, seems like it's almost, it's getting close to yeah, it's, it's close. It's condos, almost, it's you know, almost so, done. so I always was wondering about like people that drive down that street are just like, man, why is one side of the street blowing up? And then, so, but now it's good to meet the guy that's going to change that. Well, it you know, the reason it wasn't, it, it hadn't changed for a long time is because every, it was, you know, each plot of land was very small and owned by a different party. And mm-hmm. so it's only been recently until we've been able to put it all together. Also now, if nothing's being done, we can blame it on indecisiveness and <laughs> the lack of creativity and everything else. But, but fortunately, uh, I think, you know, you have somebody, or at least the way I look at it and tell people is we have, we work across the street. Really, my office looks right at whatever is to be built there. And so there's some accountability. Um, now, what what's what's hard? I've never been in real estate development. Okay. I mean, we own real estate all over the country, and we've purchased it through various means, from mobile home parks to shopping centers to office buildings, and and it's all been very simple because it's been in other people's towns uh, and communities, and they've already existed. This is hard because uh, you know, it took it took on a little bit. It is a more of a personal twist to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what will it be? Well, everyone's building a hotel right now. Sure, seems like it right downtown. <laughs> so, um, since I want to get a loan to build the building, I don't want to default on. I don't know that I want to build a hotel right now and and take <laughs> on that risk. Um, I think the crossroads needs more people and more people during the day, uh, and and that that means office of some kind or an integration of. That has more, you know, Ryan, you can open up for lunch again. I only have two places to go for lunch right now. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I've been, been saying that for years that what we need more of, uh, in the crossroads is, is, uh, well, people living there, but, you, but also people happening. working during the yeah. day and it is happening and we're starting to see it, especially like you talk about the lot to the North of us, it's being developed into a, a residential building, but office space is uh, huge as well. And, and, you know, referencing our, our closing for lunch, when we close for lunch, uh, we did it with the mindset that we would reopen when the demand was there. And in order for the demand to be there, we need more office buildings down there. We need more people during the day. It needs to be more pedestrian friendly. And I think the streetcar will have some, something to do with that. Uh, but when that time comes, we'll, we'll reopen for lunch and we, we do need that. I, I'm a hundred percent, uh, for filling in those old buildings with, uh, with new office space, new development. And as an office user, 
because that's where you know, we recruit people. And we have people working at our company. They enjoy being down there. And, you know, moving from, I mean, not to say that corporate woods is a bad place, but, I mean, you know, we can walk out our front door and walk to a coffee shop. Yeah. Or, or, it's just or, a matter of lifestyle. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's just a neat uh, environment to work in. And, um, uh, frankly, it's a little bit easier to recruit uh, people to the crossroads to work. And I've talked to people. Uh, who, who, who do this for a living um, because it seems like a lot of younger people, younger than us, they want to work, they want to work in an elevator they, and work on 430. Yeah, yeah. They want to work downtown. They want to work in the crossroads. They want to be a part of something. They want to live close to where they work. You know, with 8,000 new residential units going up in the next year downtown. I've lived downtown. Now Ryan lives downtown. I mean, we we get it. We we understand that density is going to have to improve. Foot traffic's going to have to improve, but I think it will. So I think the timing is just spectacular for this to happen. I mean, I used to go to that Hereford house, man, and I worked in the law office down the street all the time. I worked there. So, yeah, so yeah. I miss I miss that being there. Um, but Witt Solberg is the founder of Mission P Capital. We're going to come back after the break with more of this interesting discussion. Uh, I'm getting fired up, man. I love economic <laughs> development. I love it downtown. So. Uh, appreciate you listening to Grill Nation Show on 980 AM. We're here with Ryan Maybe, Jason Grill, and with Silver. We'll be right back after the break. I turn the music up. I got my red clothes on. I shut the world outside until the lights come on. Maybe the streets are light. Maybe the trees are gone. I feel my heart stop beating to my Welcome back to 980 AM and Grill Nation. I'm Jason Grill along with Ryan Maybe, guest host, contributor, and partner of Grill Nation. Uh, we're talking to Witt Solberg, who is the uh, founder of Mission Peak Capital. He's also uh, owner of a great area of Kansas City and development that's going to be happening in the near future, hopefully. Um, down in the crossroads, let's, let's talk about, again, where that is located for our listeners. Exactly. It's between 19th and 20th in Maine and Walnut. It's basically a... You know, a square block, and it's the neighborhood is you know right across from the the Rieger, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and um, really kind of the the twentieth street when twentieth and Main when you come off the hill heading north downtown, it's the first most awful looking buildings to your right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> leaving you truly. scratching your head. Truly, truly, the, because you are seeing this is kind of like the last piece I think of that area. Like maybe one of the last pieces is that where is, the, yeah. the, the places that you own because that street's been pretty developed now. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's a huge piece of the puzzle. It's it has been for a long time, and it, I think it it could be something great. This is where the Hereford House used to be for all the listeners out there that used to attend and go, go to a restaurant and get barbecue or get steak and enjoy. See, it. it's the only time you could see a billboard get removed and then say, "Oh boy, it looked better when the billboard was there." <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Um, if you know what I mean, there's that yeah. large one that was removed for, you know, building that small hotel on the right, other corner. Right. Um, so it's much more prominent. Yeah, it really is. So you're thinking office space. Yeah. You or- know, it's the, the ideal, you know, we were talking before we, the show it, it, mixed use. Yeah. Mixed use is a great idea. It's also the hardest one to finance and implement because mixing parking and residential is, uh, parking office and residential at the same time is a little tricky, um, 
but that's what we're that's what we're we're planning and we're Good. sort of scheming on. Um, I've I've seen other developments that I've been repulsed by, so I've I've, I've, tried, and, and, I've seen and, what we and, don't and want. You can't see Missouri or in other cities. Or across downtown, um, or not suburban across, just, areas. Just uh, you know, it's an urban, it's an urban spot, and so it needs to, the, the 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 dream, I guess, is to uh, make it true to the true to the area, and not put a suburban product mm-hmm. in the in really in the wrong place, uh, and and often and often I think that's a mistake that that people make, and it, it would be very very simple to and profitable. I think to drop a suburban um, apartment building uh, right on that corner and walk away from. I would it. I would totally agree, and I think that um, most people want to see these older buildings and this this urban architecture and, and design uh, maintained. Um, you know, so I'm going to kind of echo some of the the questions that I get frequently. Uh, at the Rieger and Manifesto from guests and as well as people that live in the neighborhood that are that are really curious about what's going to happen there. Uh, what do you think the odds are of maintaining, at the very least, the facade of the original Hotel Midwest or or the entire structure? I know I've been through it. I, I've been in there, and it's it's in even worse condition on the inside than it, it looks looks like it is from the outside. It's in rough shape. Uh, but what do you think the chances are of actually salvaging the structure? Um. You know, I'm like one of the few people that insists on each architect trying to salvage the look of that building. It's so tough. Um, you know, I'm not. That's 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 been my hope. Because I have I have a long history with that. Grand my grandfather actually owned that in like 1960 hmm. something, and Dad was in there working inside that building and so forth. So I wanted to preserve a, you know, try to see if how that gets integrated into the project. The the challenge with that building. Um, that we're wrestling with are the, the older buildings or the ceiling heights are a little bit lower. Uh, and if you look at it, it's, 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 it's kind of got a funny, you know, it's, it's angled in a funny way. So right. it's hard to, hard to uh, attach another building to it and then, and make it, make the construction efficient. Um, so the odds uh, are that, I think the odds are high that we we are we 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 maintain true to form of of as much as we can of what that building is, but you know I don't want it to obstruct the development of the site. Um, That's good. It's up to me to keep it right. I yeah. mean, it's um, but it's been a big struggle. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just that that is the question I get too, Ryan. It's when people go to your restaurant or they're. They're getting excited about the streetcar. They're, they're they're looking at that area, thinking, "What's going on here?" Well, I think so that's we're, one of the reasons we're we're lucky to have Wood on the show today. We are, and I, I mean, seriously, because I've been wondering that for two sure. or three years before we were having a drink at the Rieger, and I'm like, "What yeah. the hell's going on over there?" Well, and I hope that we've, as a city, we've we've learned from our mistakes in the past, and I think we we know that we don't want to keep tearing down these old buildings. If we can salvage these old historic properties, I think it's in our best interest to do that. The, the 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 having restored a historic property, it's it's a it's a there's some great incentives to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, this that building because it's small and very narrow, the incentives are only permitted or for the historic incentives within the walls or within the plate of that building. So keeping it is actually extreme is much more expensive. There's no people who restore buildings do so very profitably throughout the city and throughout the country Historic using, tax credits. using those programs. That building actually, 
you know, those tax credits don't even help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a little bit more of a unique problem set. Now, absolutely am not interested in having a, a, a drastic change to that site, keeping that facade or keeping, keeping that look is, is something that all of the designers and architects we've spoken to have, have been, been working to do. Right. With Solberg, uh, Mission Peak Capital, what, what's our timeline? What are you looking at here? When do you want to have people moving in? And I mean, best case scenario, you think? You know, it's I I have never built anything in the city, right? Um, so I have partners and am, am lining up more partners who have done this work, and I'm kind of more of a, I guess, a custodian uh, is maybe a better way of putting it right now. Um, I hope that we have something going and everybody knows what it is within six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm amazed at how slowly some things are going. It seems like there's some pressures against development right now, just reading the paper and seeing what's happening and new political wins, which I'm not really privy to. Uh, well, we can help with that. That's what we do. <laughs> but, uh, or that's what I do. Yeah, well, you know. It, <laughs> I'm surprised it, to hear that actually being a, you know, in the Pendergast building, I, I thought maybe some of that would have rubbed off. Well, that's, why that's why we're trying new methods now, you know, <laughs> rubbing the walls to see if something can come, uh, <laughs> ideas can come to bear. But no, it, it, um, nothing specific. It's just, you know, kind of, I'm a little cautious process. on the timeline, timeline of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's good to know it's going to happen at some point. And it's not just the buildings that are all sitting there and different owners. I mean, we've taken huge steps in the right direction. For this, for this development. Getting it all together is a huge step. Mm-hmm. Holding it and just having land for people to park during World Series parades uh, is not a really good use of real estate. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Although and, we want to have more of those. Yeah, <laughs> although we do. Yeah. <laughs> and we, will, we can park cars there sitting for the next one. But that's, that's currently been um, – um, we, we need to uh, you know, really get the ball rolling. Well, I think it's great that you're back in Kansas City. You know, we need good talent here in Kansas City to come home. Been all around the world, been successful, so it's good to have you back in Kansas City. I'm glad that someone that's that actually has some emotional attachment to the building and to the area has purchased these buildings. And you know, I think uh, I think the sky's the limit for downtown right now in the crossroads. I'm excited about it. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for Ryan, maybe for setting this up today. He's a uh, He's the man about downtown. He knows everyone in the crossroads. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, thanks for joining me today. Uh, pleasure. Have a great rest of your week. Uh, you've been listening to Grill Nation Show on Talk 980 AM and on Talk980AM.com. Connect with us online at GrillNationShow.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.